Third Nephi, chapter 20. It will be recalled that we are now at the beginning of the second day of Christ's ministry among the Nephites. Jesus has a very tender feeling toward all of these survivors from the great destruction which took place at the time of his crucifixion. These Nephites had exhibited such a rich quality of faith that it even exceeded the faith of the saints in Jerusalem. The scene opens with this multitude engaged in solemn prayer. And it came to pass that he commanded the multitude that they should cease to pray, and also his disciples. And he commanded them that they should not cease to pray in their hearts. And he commanded them that they should arise and stand up upon their feet. And they arose up and stood upon their feet. It is significant that Jesus suspended the active prayers of this huge congregation, but then urged them to continue praying in their hearts for the blessings they urgently desired. And it came to pass that he brake bread again, and blessed it, and gave to the disciples to eat. And when they had eaten, he commanded them that they should break bread, and give unto the multitude. And when they had given unto the multitude, he also gave them wine to drink, and commanded them that they should give unto the multitude. Now there had been no bread, neither wine, brought by the disciples, neither by the multitude. But he truly gave unto them bread to eat, and also wine to drink. In the same miraculous way that Jesus fed the five thousand on the shores of Galilee, the Savior now used that same power over the elements to provide both the bread and the wine for this sacramental service. But this was a new ordinance. Jesus therefore proceeded to explain to the newcomers the significance of these sacramental elements of bread and wine. And he said unto them, He that eateth this bread eateth of my body to his soul. And he that drinketh of this wine drinketh of my blood to his soul. And his soul shall never hunger nor thirst, but shall be filled. Now when the multitude had all eaten and drunk, behold, they were filled with the Spirit, and they did cry out with one voice, and gave glory to Jesus, whom they both saw and heard. Jesus said he would now fulfill the commandment of the Father, to tell the Nephites about the great gathering of Israel in the latter days. And it came to pass that when they had all given glory unto Jesus, he said unto them, Behold, now I finish the commandment which the Father hath commanded me concerning this people, who are a remnant of the house of Israel. Ye remember that I spake unto you, and said that when the words of Isaiah should be fulfilled, behold, they are written, Ye have them before you, therefore search them. Jesus reminded the people that Isaiah had promised that the work of the Father in that day would be accompanied by a great display of divine power. This will be found in Isaiah chapter 52, verses 9 and 10. And verily, verily, I say unto you, that when they shall be fulfilled, then is the fulfilling of the covenant which the Father hath made unto his people, O house of Israel. He said this would be the day when the Father would fulfill his covenant with ancient Israel. The remnants of Israel that had been scattered all over the earth will be gathered together and taught the gospel. 
And then shall the remnants, which shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth, be gathered in from the east, and from the west, and from the south, and from the north. And they shall be brought to the knowledge of the Lord their God, who hath redeemed them. And the Father hath commanded me that I should give unto you this land for your inheritance. In that glorious day, after the western hemisphere has been inundated by the Gentiles, it will be restored by the Father to the seed of Joseph. But we automatically ask what happened to the Gentiles. We now come to the point where Jesus picks up on the theme he introduced in chapter 16. He wants to talk about the destiny of the Gentiles who will dominate the promised land in the latter days. In the rest of this chapter and all of chapter 21, Jesus presents two climactic scenarios concerning the future destiny of the Gentiles. The first scenario is awful. It describes what will happen if the Gentiles in America abandon the Lord and become profligate and an apostate people. Jesus indicates that this point in history will be after the Gentiles have shared the gospel with the Lamanites. And if the Gentiles then become wretchedly wicked, it will be the seed of Jacob or the Lamanites who will be required to cleanse the land. However, Jesus then presents the second scenario, which comes toward the latter part of the next chapter. This will be the window of opportunity which the Lord will offer to the wicked Gentiles if they will just repent. He says the ingredient of repentance is all the Lord will require to shower the Gentiles with unlimited blessings instead of extermination. Notice that Jesus presents the horrors of the first scenario as though the destruction of the Gentiles is the scenario most likely to occur. In fact, he then mentions the second scenario almost casually. But we think this was done for a purpose. No doubt this approach is to impress upon the wicked Gentiles in modern times that they must take advantage of the window of opportunity when it is offered to them, or otherwise their fate is sealed. God does not want to destroy the Gentiles, but if they embrace the first scenario, they will eventually be wiped off the face of the land. Now let us examine the first scenario which begins with the next verse. And I say unto you, that if the Gentiles do not repent after the blessing which they shall receive, after they have scattered my people, then shall ye who are a remnant of the house of Jacob go forth among them, and ye shall be in the midst of them who shall be many, and ye shall be among them as a lion among the beasts of the forest, and as a young lion among the flocks of sheep who, if he goeth through, both treadeth down and teareth in pieces, and none can deliver. Without identifying the prophet or where his writings can be found in the scriptures, Jesus refers back to the prophecy of Micah, chapter 4, verses 12 to 13, and chapter 5, verses 8 to 15. We briefly discussed this prophecy when we covered 3 Nephi, chapter 16, and verse 13. In that passage, the Savior said that if the Gentiles repented, the Lord would not allow the Gentiles to be trodden down by the seed of Jacob as Micah had predicted. 
Nevertheless, Jesus warns the Gentiles of the latter days that if they do not repent, the seed of Jacob or the Lamanites will descend on the wicked Gentiles like a lion and destroy them from off the face of the Western Hemisphere. But this is a conditional promise. In this present verse, the Lord says this terrible destruction will take place only if they do not repent. Thy hand shall be lifted up upon thine adversaries, and all thine enemies shall be cut off. Note that if the cleansing of the Gentiles finally occurs, the seed of Jacob will not only cleanse the land of all the wicked Gentiles, but it says that all who are the enemies of God's people will be destroyed, both at home and abroad. And I will gather my people together, as a man gathereth his sheaves into the floor. For I will make my people with whom the Father hath covenanted. Yea, I will make thy horn iron, and I will make thy hoofs brass. And thou shalt beat in pieces many people. And I will consecrate their gain unto the Lord, and their substance unto the Lord of the whole earth. And behold, I am he who doeth it. The Lord makes it clear that if the seed of Jacob are required to cleanse the land, their hoofs shall be as brass, and they shall beat to pieces great multitudes of people. They will then acquire all the fruits that result from this great victory. And it shall come to pass, saith the Father, that the sword of my justice shall hang over them at that day. And except they repent, it shall fall upon them, saith the Father yea, even upon all the nations of the Gentiles. Jesus says that in that day, God's judgment will hover over the Gentiles like a huge sword of justice. But here again the prophecy is conditional. However, if the wicked Gentiles in each of the nation of the Western Hemisphere do not repent, they will all be destroyed. And it shall come to pass that I will establish my people, O house of Israel. And behold, this people will I establish in this land, unto the fulfilling of the covenant which I made with your father Jacob. And it shall be a new Jerusalem, and the powers of heaven shall be in the midst of this people. Yea, even I will be in the midst of you. Not only will the seed of Jacob become established in the promised land, but they will be commissioned by the Lord to build the new Jerusalem and the Savior will appear in their midst. Now Jesus introduces himself to these people as being the great prophet which Moses and all of the prophets from Samuel on down testified would come. Behold, I am he of whom Moses spake, saying, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be cut off from among the people. Verily I say unto you, yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have testified of me. And behold, ye are the children of the prophets and ye are of the house of Israel, and ye are of the covenant which the Father made with your fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. 
the Father, having raised me up unto you first, and sent me to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities, and this because ye are the children of the covenant. And after that ye were blessed, then fulfilleth the Father the covenant which he made with Abraham, saying, In thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed, unto the pouring out of the Holy Ghost through me upon the Gentiles, which blessing upon the Gentiles shall make them mighty above all, unto the scattering of my people, O house of Israel. Then the Savior says that those standing before him are the children of those prophets, and Jesus was sent to the Nephites first so that in the latter days their teachings might go to the Gentiles. At that time God will bless the Gentiles in the promised land until they become the strongest nation on earth. But he said that when the Gentiles first discover and settle America, they will scatter the Lamanites and seize their land. In that day Jesus said the Gentiles will be a scourge to the Lamanites, or the seed of Jacob in this land. Nevertheless, when the Gentiles receive the fullness of the gospel and then share it with the Lamanites, the Gentiles must not become proud and harden their hearts or their iniquities will engulf them. And they shall be a scourge unto the people of this land. Nevertheless, when they shall have received the fullness of my gospel, then if they shall harden their hearts against me, I will return their iniquities upon their own heads, saith the Father, and I will remember the covenant which I have made with my people, and I have covenanted with them that I would gather them together in mine own due time, that I would give unto them again the land of their fathers for their inheritance, which is the land of Jerusalem, which is the promised land unto them forever, saith the Father. As we mentioned earlier, under this first scenario, the seed of Jacob or the Lamanites will turn on the Gentiles and wipe them off the face of the land. Should that happen, the Lord will turn away from the Gentiles and bless the seed of Jacob or the Lamanites in America. He will also bless the Jews who will return to their original land of inheritance in Jerusalem and the surrounding region. The gospel will be preached to them so that many of them will become the servants of Jesus Christ. Of course, this is already happening among the Lamanites, and after the battle of Armageddon, it will happen to the Jews. And it shall come to pass that the time cometh when the fullness of my gospel shall be preached unto them, and they shall believe in me that I am Jesus Christ the Son of God, and shall pray unto the Father in my name. Then shall their watchmen lift up their voice, and with the voice together shall they sing, for they shall see eye to eye. The Lord has a host of blessings in store for Jerusalem and the Jews. The whole world will see that God has showered his people with miraculous blessings, and those who formerly worshipped only one God, that is the Father, will come to realize that the Father and the Son are one, and both have a place in the Godhead. Then will the Father gather them together again, and give unto them Jerusalem for the land of their inheritance. Then shall they break forth into joy, 
Sing together, ye waste places of Jerusalem. For the Father hath comforted his people. He hath redeemed Jerusalem. The Father hath made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of the Father. And the Father and I are one. The marvelous blessings of God upon Zion in America and the Jews in Jerusalem will cause them to rise and shine. And then shall be brought to pass that which is written, Awake, awake again, and put on thy strength, O Zion. Put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For henceforth there shall no more come into thee the uncircumcised and the unclean. Joseph Smith was asked what Isaiah meant when he said, quote, put on thy strength, unquote, and to what people was he referring? He replied, quote, Isaiah had reference to those whom God would call in the last days, who should hold the power of priesthood to bring about Zion and the redemption of Israel, and to put on her strength is to put on the authority of the priesthood, which she, that is Zion, has a right to by lineage, also to return to that power which she had lost. This statement by Joseph Smith is in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 113, verses 7 and 8. Jesus then continues quoting Isaiah. Shake thyself from the dust. Arise. Sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose thyself from the bands of thy neck, O captive daughter of Zion. Joseph Smith was also asked what Isaiah meant when God's people were commanded to loosen themselves from the bands of their necks. Joseph Smith replied, quote, We are to understand that the scattered remnants of Israel are exhorted to return to the Lord from whence they have fallen, which if they do, the promise of the Lord is that he will speak to them and give them revelation. The bands of her neck are the curses which God has placed upon her and upon the remnants of Israel in their scattered condition among the Gentiles. This statement is found in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 113, verses 9 and 10. For thus saith the Lord, Ye have sold yourselves for naught, and ye shall be redeemed without money. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that my people shall know my name, yea, in that day they shall know that I am he that doth speak. Now we come to the words of Isaiah in chapter 52, verse 7, which led directly to the prophet Abinadi being burned at the stake. Abinadi was asked to explain the following statement of Isaiah. And then shall they say, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings unto them, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings unto them of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. Jesus then quotes the next verse of Isaiah, which refers to the gathering of Israel in the latter days. And then shall a cry go forth, Depart ye, depart ye, go ye out from thence, touch not that which is unclean, Go ye out of the midst of her, 
Be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. When the righteous are called together, they must not take with them any of the corrupt things of the world. For some this will be a real temptation. Furthermore, God's people must not gather in haste as though they were fugitives in flight. For ye shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel shall be your rearward. Jesus then quotes several verses of Isaiah referring to himself and his ministry in the latter days. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As the Savior takes over the government of the world, people will be amazed at his wisdom and capacity for righteous achievement. It will be hard to believe that one who was so brutally marred and mutilated at the crucifixion could be so talented, handsome, and attractive as he stands at the head of God's kingdom. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. It will be especially hard for the Jews to believe that God could fulfill all of the promises he had made to them, even opening the way for them to inhabit their beautiful Jerusalem again. Verily, verily, I say unto you, All these things shall surely come, even as the Father hath commanded me. Then shall this covenant which the Father hath covenanted with his people be fulfilled, and then shall Jerusalem be inhabited again with my people, and it shall be the land of their inheritance. Third Nephi chapter 21 Jesus knew that in the latter days both the seed of Jacob and the American Gentiles would be anxious to know the signs of the time when there would be a great restoration of the gospel among the Gentiles, and the Lord would once more establish Zion in the earth. Therefore Jesus said, And verily I say unto you, I give unto you a sign, that ye may know the time when these things shall be about to take place, that I shall gather in from their long dispersion my people, O house of Israel, and shall establish again among them my Zion. And behold, this is the thing which I will give unto you for a sign. For verily I say unto you that when these things which I declare unto you, and which I shall declare unto you hereafter of myself, and by the power of the Holy Ghost, which shall be given unto you of the Father, shall be made known unto the Gentiles, that they may know concerning this people, who are a remnant of the house of Jacob, and concerning this my people, who shall be scattered by them. This must have been a somewhat puzzling prophecy for the Nephites. First of all, Jesus said that in the latter days the American Gentiles would persecute and scatter the Lamanites. But then the ancient records would come forth containing the history of the Lamanites. 
Through this record, the Gentiles would learn the exciting news that the Lamanites were a branch of the scattered children of Israel. And in the second place, Jesus said that when the Gentiles received these records and learned about the Lamanites, it would be a sign unto them that the Father was getting ready to establish his new Zion. Verily, verily, I say unto you, when these things shall be made known unto them of the Father, and shall come forth of the Father from them unto you. Now Jesus confirms the fact that as soon as the Gentiles received the records of the ancient Nephites, they would begin sharing the good news of the Book of Mormon with the modern Lamanites. For it is wisdom in the Father that they should be established in this land, and be set up as a free people by the power of the Father, that these things might come forth from them unto a remnant of your seed, that the covenant of the Father may be fulfilled, which he hath covenanted with his people, O house of Israel. Jesus said that all this could happen only if the Gentiles had been established in America as a free people. They would not only have to be politically free, but have a government that allowed freedom of religion. As it turned out, the United States was the only spot on earth where the gospel could have been restored without having the servants of God either thrown into prison or burned at the stake. Furthermore, America was the only place where contact could be made with the Lamanites so they could be taught the gospel and gradually be brought into the church. Therefore, when these works and the works which shall be wrought among you hereafter shall come forth from the Gentiles unto your seed, which shall dwindle in unbelief because of iniquity. But why not restore the gospel directly to the Lamanites rather than first give it to the American Gentiles? Jesus knew that the Lamanites would have just passed through several centuries of apostasy and darkness, and therefore the Christian Gentiles would be better prepared to receive the gospel than the Lamanites or seed of Jacob. For thus it behooveth the Father, that it should come forth from the Gentiles, that he may show forth his power unto the Gentiles, for this cause that the Gentiles, if they will not harden their hearts, that they may repent and come unto me, and be baptized in my name, and know of the true points of my doctrine, that they may be numbered among my people, O house of Israel. Jesus said that it was all part of the Father's plan to have the more civilized Gentiles receive the gospel first, so they could receive the visitation of angels and see the power of God manifest among them. By receiving the gospel in this manner, the American Gentiles could then be converted to the church and the Lord would then adopt them into the house of Israel. And when these things come to pass, that thy seed shall begin to know these things, it shall be a sign unto them that they may know that the work of the Father hath already commenced unto the fulfilling of the covenant which he hath made unto the people who are of the house of Israel. Jesus said that as the Lamanites began to learn about the gospel from the Gentiles, it would be a sign unto the Lamanites that they were of the house of Israel, and that the Father was now fulfilling the covenant which he had made with their ancient ancestors. 
And when that day shall come, it shall come to pass that kings shall shut their mouths, for that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Usually it is the rulers and kings who are given the credit of accomplishing great things in each generation. But the Lord says that when he restores the gospel among his people, they will accomplish things which none of the great men of the earth would ever have believed possible. For in that day, for my sake, shall the Father work a work which shall be a great and a marvelous work among them. And there shall be among them those who will not believe it, although a man shall declare it unto them. Now the Father will have the people perform a marvelous work and a wonder, but some will not believe it, even though God will raise up his servant to explain it to them. We assume this is referring to the prophet Joseph Smith. But behold, the life of my servant shall be in my hand. Therefore they shall not hurt him, although he shall be marred because of them. Yet I will heal him, for I will show unto them that my wisdom is greater than the cunning of the devil. Jesus says this servant will be marred by his enemies, and if this is referring to Joseph Smith, it probably is referring to his assassination. However, the Lord says he will heal him and put his enemies to shame by having this Joseph continue in the spirit world as the head of this new dispensation. Therefore it shall come to pass that whosoever will not believe in my words, who am Jesus Christ, which the Father shall cause him to bring forth unto the Gentiles, and shall give unto him power, that he shall bring them forth unto the Gentiles. It shall be done even as Moses said, They shall be cut off from among my people who are of the covenant. However, Jesus says that in the latter days, if the Gentiles reject the message of Jesus Christ, which the Father sends through his prophet, then the Father will completely cut off the Gentiles from those who are setting up the new Zion. Now Jesus gets ready to repeat the prophecy of Micah, which he mentioned both in 3 Nephi chapter 16 and again in chapter 20. This is the prophecy that says that if the wicked Gentiles reject the gospel, it will be the seed of Jacob, the lowly Lamanites, and those with whom their seed has mixed, who will rise up with great power and cleanse the wicked Gentiles from off the face of the land. And my people, who are a remnant of Jacob, shall be among the Gentiles, yea, in the midst of them as a lion among the beasts of the forest, as a young lion among the flocks of sheep, who, if he go through, both treadeth down, and teareth in pieces, and none can deliver. Their hand shall be lifted up upon their adversaries, and all their enemies shall be cut off. Jesus now describes in full detail the horrors of the first scenario. It will be recalled that Jesus said this is the scenario which will transpire if the Gentiles become violently wicked, and will not receive the message of the gospel when it is offered to them. Jesus described just how devastating the cleansing of America will be. The remnant of Jacob or seed of Jacob will not only overthrow the Gentiles, 
but wipe out their whole wicked civilization. Yea, woe be unto the Gentiles, except they repent. For it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Father, that I will cut off thy horses out of the midst of thee, and I will destroy thy chariots. And I will cut off the cities of thy land, and throw down all thy strongholds. And I will cut off witchcrafts out of thy land, and thou shalt have no more soothsayers. Thy graven images I will also cut off, and thy standing images out of the midst of thee, and thou shalt no more worship the works of thy hands. And I will pluck up thy groves out of the midst of thee, so will I destroy thy cities. And it shall come to pass that all lyings and deceivings and envyings and strifes and priestcrafts and whoredoms shall be done away. For it shall come to pass, saith the Father, that at that day whosoever will not repent and come unto my beloved Son, them will I cut off from among my people, O house of Israel, and I will execute vengeance and fury upon them, even as upon the heathen, such as they have not heard. But suddenly Jesus turns to the second scenario. Jesus said the wicked Gentiles of the latter days do not have to be destroyed. The Lord only requires that they repent of their sins and seek to obey God's commandments. But if they will repent and hearken unto my words and harden not their hearts, I will establish my church among them, and they shall come in unto the covenant and be numbered among this the remnant of Jacob, unto whom I have given this land for their inheritance. In other words, after the gospel is restored, there will be a brilliant new window of opportunity for the Gentiles. All they have to do is to embrace the message from the servants of God and turn back from their wicked ways so they can receive the blessings God has in store for them. One of their greatest blessings is to be adopted into the ranks of the children of Israel. This will entitle them to all the blessings promised to Father Abraham. It will also allow them to receive a permanent inheritance in the promised land of America. Now we cannot proceed further without asking ourselves a compelling question. Is the second scenario, or the conversion of the Gentiles in modern America, a practical possibility? To realize how serious the sins of America have become, the great scholar and notable judge Robert H. Bork undertook to examine more than two dozen dimensions of the modern American society to see how far we have drifted from God's commandments. He called his book, quote, slouching toward Gomorrah, unquote. His final chapter contains some jolting conclusions, and he raises the fatal question, can America avoid Gomorrah? In other words, quote, can the wealthy, powerful, wicked Gentile Americans avoid the threat of another dark ages, unquote. Dr. Bork says that politically the vast majority of the American leaders have abandoned the Constitution and smashed the chains of restricted power set up by the Founding Fathers. Spiritually, he says, the Gentile culture has repudiated the teachings of Jesus Christ 
and torn from the walls of the courts and the schools the plaques honoring the Ten Commandments. Economically, the politicians and master moneymakers have burdened Americans with a $5 trillion national debt. This requires $300 billion in taxes every year just to pay the interest. Dr. Bork's harshest condemnation against American society is the flood of immorality which has engulfed the nation. Never in its history has the moral decadence of the American culture insulted the essential commandments of God as it flagrantly does today. So the monumental question that remains to be addressed is simply this. Is there any hope that the modern American Gentile society can be rescued and rehabilitated? To answer that question, we turn to one of the highlights of the Book of Mormon. We find that while the catalog of sins of the American Gentiles are atrocious, they are no worse than the sins of the Nephites and Lamanites at the close of 33 A.D. And what the Nephites and Lamanites didn't realize was that God had a plan to rescue them from their gross corruption. Here is how he did it. First of all, God suddenly put the entire Western Hemisphere through a great shock treatment. It lasted three days and three nights. When it was over, the people were so shattered and terrified that they were pleading with God for help. The Lord immediately responded with an aggressive missionary campaign among the survivors. In a very short time, here is what the Book of Mormon tells us in 4th Nephi, chapter 1. And it came to pass in the thirty and sixth year, the people were all converted unto the Lord, upon all the face of the land, both Nephites and Lamanites. And after the survivors had been taught the gospel and joined the church, what was it like in America for the next one hundred years? The record says, And every man did deal justly one with another. And there were no envyings, nor strifes, nor tumults, nor whoredoms, nor lyings, nor murders, nor any manner of lasciviousness. And surely there could not be a happier people among all the people who had been created by the hand of God. Now all of that really happened. It is actually part of history. And the church of Jesus Christ among the Nephites and Lamanites lasted in all of its perfection for over a hundred years. So we are led to wonder if the same formula that exonerated the Nephites and Lamanites could also rescue the modern element of wicked Gentiles in America. What kind of a shock treatment would be required to initiate a major reform in America today? The Lord has not disclosed the details of his entire plan for the latter days. But he has told us there is a pending judgment hovering over America, and he has described it in such vivid terms that we know that when it strikes, millions of wicked Gentiles will be on their knees pleading to God for relief in order to survive. This prophecy is set forth in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 29, verses 17 to 19. Now, in another place, the Lord refers to this time of future affliction and promises to protect his faithful saints. Nevertheless, he says the indolent members of the church have no promise. This prophecy in the Lord's insurance policy for the faithful saints 
is set forth in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 97, verses 25 and 26. Of course, God's plan is to save as many as possible from their own wicked self-destruction. And if our modern shock treatment has as great an impact on the wicked in our day as God's plan did among the Nephites and Lamanites, no doubt we could have a similar result. For example, among the Nephites and Lamanites, only the grossly wicked were destroyed. Jesus said, quote, Where there were none righteous among them, I did send down fire and destroy them, unquote. Now, that's in 3 Nephi 9 and 11. And to the remainder who survived, Jesus said, quote, All ye that are spared, it is because ye were more righteous than they. Will ye not now return unto me and repent? In other words, they also were wicked, but not grossly wicked. Therefore they were spared. All of this is in 3 Nephi chapter 9, verses 11 to 13. No doubt the survivors among the Nephites and Lamanites eagerly welcomed the missionaries because we are told that every single one of them was converted. Now, if something like this happened in our own day, how could the church deal with such a vast multitude of humbled survivors who had repented and longed to be taught the gospel? We are probably talking about a vast multitude of millions of survivors just as it was in the days of the Nephites and Lamanites. Today, the church has mobilized five full quorums of the 70s to manage the orderly affairs of over 10 million Latter-day Saints. Supposing there were a hundred quorums of 70s, or even 200, supposing there were so many temples serving the people that you could stand near the steeple of one and see the steeple of another in the distance, Supposing we had 50 assembly halls, as big as the one recently completed in Salt Lake City, and all 50 were strategically located up and down this continent. And suppose we had the largest assembly hall in the world, erected next to the temple in New Jerusalem. All of these things could happen, and perhaps Jesus had this and much more in his mind when he spoke of the modern Gentiles and said, if ye will repent, I will establish my church among you. This would mean that the church would need to launch a missionary campaign equal to that which unfolded among the Nephites and Lamanites nearly 2,000 years ago. Reflect for a moment on the number of recent developments which suggest that something like this might happen. For example, in 1988, President Ezra Taft Benson stated in the October conference, quote, I testify that wickedness is more highly organized, more cleverly disguised, and more powerfully promoted than ever before, unquote. Then he quickly added, quote, And I testify the church and kingdom of God has never been better organized or equipped to perform its divine mission, unquote. And that's in the Ensign Magazine for November 1988, page 87. The prophet was announcing that a sort of David and Goliath encounter is taking shape. The church, in the role of David, launched its first smooth stone from the Lord's sling on June the 1st, 1978, when it was announced that the holy priesthood would now be made available to worthy men of every race and nationality. 
The second smooth stone came a year after Ezra Taft Benson's conference talk. Suddenly in 1989, the Berlin Wall came down. The Soviet Union and Warsaw Pact collapsed, and the Cold War was over. Soon whole vast regions were open for the preaching of the gospel. By the time Gordon B. Hinckley became president of the church in 1995, nearly 60,000 missionaries were moving out across the world, and many nations were hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ for the first time. President Hinckley announced that a hundred beautiful temples would be completed and operating in the very near future, and a new chapel would be completed somewhere in the world about every three or four days. The saints were getting a chance to see what President Benson meant when he said the church and kingdom of God has never been better organized or equipped to perform its divine mission. Recently, all of us have seen the work of the church greatly accelerating. A private plane was donated to President Hinckley, and before long he had visited nations on nearly every continent of this planet. People poured out by thousands to hear the president of the church. Before long, the gospel story of the Restoration was being heard worldwide on television and radio. No doubt it was the beginning of the latter-day flooding of the earth with the gospel as predicted by Enoch. In a couple of years, the president of the church appeared on several worldwide television programs. The first was 60 Minutes, then two worldwide shows on Larry King Live. Interest in the message of the prophet resulted in a packed audience at the U.S. Press Club in Washington, D.C. Then he came out with a new book entitled, quote, Stand for Something, unquote, and it soon reached the national bestseller list in its class. As a jewel in the crown of this flurry of accomplishments, as a jewel in the crown of this flurry of accomplishments, President Hinckley dedicated the largest religious assembly hall in the entire United States during the October Conference of 2000 A.D. And among the many temples dedicated that year, three were dedicated in two days, two in Mexico and one in Nashville, Tennessee. Another highlight was the dedication of a temple in Palmyra, New York. That temple stands very near the exact spot where Joseph Smith received the first vision, and shortly afterwards, just a short distance away, where Joseph received from the hands of the angel Moroni the gold plate from which the Book of Mormon was translated. And if in the midst now of all these wonderful developments there has to be a shock treatment before the wicked realize how much the Lord abhors their abominations, at least he has made a marvelous promise to the survivors. He says that all those ominous prophecies of Micah that we discussed earlier in this chapter will not have to be fulfilled. Here is what he says. But if the Gentiles will repent and return unto me, saith the Father, behold, they shall be numbered among my people, O house of Israel. And I will not suffer my people who are of the house of Israel to go through among them and tread them down, saith the Father. In addition to reversing the prophecy of Micah, the Lord confirms in verse 22 of this present chapter that he will adopt the repentant Gentiles into the house of Israel. 
This means they will inherit all the blessings of Abraham, and they will have a permanent inheritance in America. And then shall they assist my people, that they may be gathered in, who are scattered upon all the face of the land, in unto the new Jerusalem. They will participate in helping to gather the children of Israel from all over the earth, and even the, quote, outermost regions of heaven, unquote, spoken of by Moses in Deuteronomy 30 and 4. They will also be assigned to the thrilling task of building the new Jerusalem. And then shall the power of heaven come down among them, and I also will be in the midst. This will be a glorious epic in which the powers of God will be widely manifested, and Jesus himself will mingle among the people prior to the second coming. And then shall the work of the Father commence at that day. Even when this gospel shall be preached among the remnant of this people, verily I say unto you, at that day shall the work of the Father commence among all the dispersed of my people, yea, even the tribes which have been lost, which the Father hath led away out of Jerusalem. Jesus told the Nephites that once the new Jerusalem is built with its beautiful temple and its magnificent assembly of administrative structures, the Lord will begin gathering together all of the scattered children of Israel. The lost tribes will make their appearance and come to the temple in New Jerusalem to receive their priesthood blessings from the hands of Ephraim. This is described in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 133, verses 26 to 32. Yea, the work shall commence among all the dispersed of my people with the Father, to prepare the way whereby they may come unto me, that they may call on the Father in my name. Yea, and then shall the work commence with the Father among all nations, in preparing the way whereby his people may be gathered home to the land of their inheritance. And they shall go out from all nations, and they shall not go out in haste, nor go by flight. For I will go before them, saith the Father, and I will be their rearward. No doubt this is what the prophet Daniel saw in vision when he told King Nebuchadnezzar, that in the latter days shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms which Nebuchadnezzar had seen in vision, and it shall stand forever. And this is found in Daniel chapter 2, verses 28 and 44. Third Nephi, chapter 22. At this point, the Savior was filled with such a spirit of rapture as he contemplated the glory of the latter days that he poured out Isaiah's song of victory, which Isaiah recorded in chapter 54 of his writings. And then shall that which is written come to pass. Sing, O barren thou that didst not bear. Break forth into singing, and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. As Israel is gathered in the latter days, she will comprise such a vast multitude that the hosts of these tribes will be greater than at any time in their history. 
This will be particularly true as the lost tribes pour forth out of the north. Enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thy habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes. The hosts of Israel will not be a confused mass of humanity, but they will be organized into stakes, and will provide order, stability, and strength to the whole kingdom. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles, and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. This is an interesting verse. It says the gathering Israelites will fill up the land and occupy the desolated cities of the Gentiles after the cleansing. Fear not for thou shalt not be ashamed. Neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame, for thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth, and shalt not remember the reproach of thy youth, and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood any more. We sometimes forget how much travail the children of Israel have endured while they were scattered and persecuted during many centuries. But in this verse, Isaiah declares that in the latter days they will have their hour of triumph. They will no longer be ashamed or confounded. Their past suffering and stunted life and persecution in the dismal ghettos of Europe and Asia will seem like a fading nightmare as they come more closely associated with their Redeemer once again. For thy Maker, thy husband, the Lord of hosts, is his name and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. For the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, and a wife of youth when thou wast refused, saith thy God. Once the Savior has appeared among them, and the crowning glory of his presence will be glorious beyond imagination, and all the Israelites will feel like an abandoned and forsaken wife who has suddenly been restored to her rightful place. For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. In fact, the bitter life of the past will begin to fade from memory, so that it will seem like a small moment instead of a couple of thousand years. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. In consequence of Israel's iniquity there was a time of indignation and wrath, but now all that is past, it is forgotten, so that in the latter days the Israelites can bask in the radiance of the Savior's glorious companionship. For this the waters of Noah unto me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be wroth with thee. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee. Neither shall the covenant of my people be removed, saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee. Just as the Lord promised that there would never be another world flood, so he has promised that his covenant with Israel will be established forever.
O thou afflicted, tossed with tempest, and not comforted? Behold, I will lay thy stones with fair colors, and lay thy foundations with sapphires, and I will make thy windows of agates, and thy gates of carbuncles, and all thy borders of pleasant stones. Once Israel has been redeemed, her dwelling place will be radiantly beautiful. And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. In righteousness shalt thou be established. Thou shalt be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near thee. And her children will even be taught by the Lord. Behold, they shall surely gather together against thee, not by me. Whosoever shall gather together against thee shall fall for thy sake. Behold, I have created the smith that bloweth the coals in the fire, and that bringeth forth an instrument for his work, and I have created the waster to destroy. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall revile against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. No enemy or weapon will prosper against Israel. It will be known far and wide that the righteousness of Israel is according to the Lord. Third Nephi chapter 23 Jesus expressed a special affection for the writings of Isaiah, and he spent considerable time expounding all of the scriptures so the people could see how important they were in comprehending the gospel and learning more about the Father and the Son. And now behold, I say unto you, that ye ought to search these things. Yea, a commandment I give unto you, that ye search these things diligently, for great are the words of Isaiah. Here is one of the commandments of the Lord which the saints have taken lightly. The book of Isaiah is difficult to read unless a person has had the same revelation as Isaiah. Such was the case with Lehi, Nephi, and Jacob. Over the years I have carefully studied the writings of this great prophet, and in an attempt to make the writings of Isaiah easier to understand, I wrote a book entitled, quote, Isaiah Speaks to Modern Times, unquote. Every once in a while I receive a letter from someone who says they have just finished reading the Isaiah book, and they have found out how exciting his writings can be. For an author, this is what makes it all worthwhile. For surely he spake as touching all things concerning my people, which are of the house of Israel. Therefore it must needs be that he must speak also to the Gentiles. And all things that he spake have been and shall be, even according to the words which he spake. Notice that the writings of Isaiah are not only designed to declare God's teachings to the people of Israel, but also to the Gentiles who need to know the fullness of his gospel. Therefore give heed to my words, write the things which I have told you, and according to the time and the will of the Father they shall go forth unto the Gentiles. 
Jesus tells the Nephites that since their writings will someday go forth to the Gentiles, it is expedient that they record all of the things Jesus has been teaching them so the Gentiles will have the benefit of his explanations. And whosoever will hearken unto my words and repenteth and is baptized, the same shall be saved. Search the prophets, for many there be that testify of these things. From Adam down to the time of Christ, the great central message has always been repent and be baptized. And now it came to pass that when Jesus had said these words, he said unto them again, After he had expounded all the scriptures unto them which they had received, he said unto them, Behold, other scriptures I would that ye should write, that ye have not. There are few people that can expound all of the standard works as though they were one combined scripture. This is because it takes several years of daily study to digest all of the four standard works. However, the missionaries find out that by daily study they can get a fairly good grasp of the scriptures. And it came to pass that he said unto Nephi, Bring forth the record which ye have kept. And when Nephi had brought forth the records, and laid them before him, he cast his eyes upon them, and said, Verily I say unto you, I commanded my servant Samuel the Lamanite, that he should testify unto this people, that at the day that the Father should glorify his name in me, that there were many saints who should arise from the dead, and should appear unto many, and should minister unto them. And he said unto them, Was it not so? And his disciples answered him, and said, Yea, Lord, Samuel did prophesy according to thy words, and they were all fulfilled. In his own gentle way, Jesus was scolding the Nephites because they had witnessed the ministration of resurrected beings shortly after Jesus was resurrected, and they failed to record it. And Jesus said unto them, How be it that ye have not written this thing, that many saints did arise and appear unto many, and did minister unto them? And it came to pass that Nephi remembered that this thing had not been written. And it came to pass that Jesus commanded that it should be written. Therefore it was written according as he commanded. And now it came to pass that when Jesus had expounded all the scriptures in one, which they had written, he commanded them that they should teach the things which he had expounded unto them. The genius of a good scriptorian is being able to explain all of the scriptures as though they were one book. When I served in the British mission, I was astounded that Elder John A. Witzer was able to do this. He inspired me to want to do that same thing eventually. Third Nephi chapter 24 There were some prophets who had risen up after Lehi and his family left Jerusalem. One of these was Malachi, who lived around 400 B.C. And it came to pass that he commanded them that they should write the words which the Father had given unto Malachi, which he should tell unto them. And it came to pass that after they were written, he expounded them. 
And these are the words which he did tell unto them, saying, Thus said the father unto Malachi, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. This verse is referring to John the Baptist, who arose among the Jews to prepare them for the coming of the Savior. Malachi promised that when Jesus came, he would bring a whole new covenant to replace the law of Moses and the covenant with Abraham. The new covenant would encompass the entire gospel of Jesus Christ. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord, as in the days of old, and as in former years. Malachi not only anticipated the first coming when Jesus would bring the new covenant, but he also anticipated his second coming in glory, when he would judge the world. This would be a great day of purging, education, and refinement, especially for the sons of Levi among the Jews. They would finally offer an offering unto the Lord in righteousness, so they could receive the higher priesthood. John the Baptist had anticipated this when he conferred the Aaronic priesthood on Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery. He said, And this priesthood shall never be taken again from the earth until the sons of Levi do offer again an offering unto the Lord in righteousness. And that's set forth in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 13. And I will come near to you to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, and against the adulterers, and against false swearers, and against those that oppress the hireling in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and that turn aside the stranger, and fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. The Lord wants the people of Israel to know that he will sort out the righteous from the evildoers. However, he has made a covenant to spare them and promised that they will not be consumed if they will just repent. Even from the days of your fathers ye are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye say, Wherein shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me, but ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. One of the great sins of God's people is that they have robbed him of the tithes and offerings, which are due to the Lord under the covenant with God. 
Malachi then gives God's promise to the people if they will come forth with their tithes and their offerings. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the fields, saith the Lord of hosts. Malachi says the Israelites have been justifying themselves in not paying their tithes and offerings because the wicked seem to be getting all the blessings. <laughs> and all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. Your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, What have we spoken against thee? Ye have said, It is vain to serve God, and what doth it profit that we have kept his ordinances, and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the proud happy, yea, they that work wickedness are set up, yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. This plea of Malachi finally had its impact, and the people began to fulfill their debts to the Lord. A sacred record was kept of all those who remembered the Lord's commandments. In fact, it was called a book of remembrance. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels. And I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Because tithes and offerings represent a sacrifice to God, he reserves great blessings for those who are obedient. On the other hand, those who rebel against this important commandment put themselves in greater danger than many of them may realize. In a modern revelation, the Lord said, quote, Behold, now it is called today until the coming of the Son of Man, and verily it is a day of sacrifice and a day for the tithing of my people, for he that is tithed shall not be burned at his coming. Unquote. This is Doctrine and Covenants, section 64, verse 23. Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. Third Nephi chapter 25. The Savior now repeats verbatim the fourth chapter of Malachi. This is the last chapter in the Old Testament and the final word of warning from the Lord. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. This is the burning referred to in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 64, verse 23. 
those who are tithe-payers will be spared. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves in the stall. This verse anticipates the blessings of the millennium for those who are righteous. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. This verse anticipates the blessing of the righteous after the great destruction of the wicked by burning. Those who were the enemies of the righteous and who tried to destroy them will be ashes under the soles of their feet. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now we come to the two precious verses which anticipated the day when salvation will be provided for millions of the dead who died without having a chance to receive the ordinances of the gospel. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Who would ever have anticipated the invention of the computer? It facilitates the vicarious work for the dead on a scale that would have overwhelmed the thinking of our pioneer ancestors. Third Nephi chapter 26. This is a very important chapter. It contains the promise of the Lord that if the modern saints appreciate the abbreviated version of the Book of Mormon, which we now have, there will be other things added from time to time. The Lord refers to these as the greater things. And now it came to pass that when Jesus had told these things, he expounded them unto the multitude, and he did expound all things unto them, both great and small. And he saith, These scriptures which ye had not with you, the Father commanded that I should give unto you. For it was wisdom in him that they should be given unto future generations. These verses imply that Jesus may have given the Nephites more scriptures which had been given to Lehi after he left Jerusalem. In any event, whatever the Nephite received, Jesus now expounded extensively to make certain that the people understood them. And he did expound all things, even from the beginning until the time that he should come in his glory, yea, even all things which should come upon the face of the earth, even until the element should melt with fervent heat, and the earth should be wrapped together as a scroll, and the heavens and the earth should pass away. Someday we hope to have everything that Jesus expounded in this sermon. It covered the highlights of everything right up to the final consumption when the earth will be renewed and receive its status as a celestial planet. The people even heard Jesus describe the great last judgment when both good and evil will be rewarded according to their works. And even unto the great and last day, when all people and all kindreds and all nations and tongues shall stand before God, 
to be judged of their works, whether they be good or whether they be evil. If they be good, to the resurrection of everlasting life, and if they be evil to the resurrection of damnation, being on a parallel, the one on the one hand and the other on the other hand, according to the mercy and the justice and the holiness which is in Christ, who was before the world began. And now there cannot be written in this book even a hundredth part of the things which Jesus did truly teach unto the people. But behold, the plates of Nephi do contain the more part of the things which he taught the people. Now Mormon, the historian, expresses his frustration in not being able to write more. He says he has not even written a hundredth part of what are on the plates of Nephi concerning the words of Jesus which were expounded at this time. And these things have I written which are a lesser part of the things which he taught the people, and I have written them to the intent that they may be brought again unto this people from the Gentiles, according to the words which Jesus hath spoken. And when they shall have received this, which is expedient that they should have first to try their faith, and if it shall so be that they shall believe these things, then shall the greater things be made manifest unto them. These verses make it very clear that the abridgment of the Book of Mormon which we have received is a test. Some very important parts of the book were withheld until it has been demonstrated by those who received the Book of Mormon that they cherish its teachings and have studied it until they are ready for more. And if it so be that they will not believe these things, then shall the greater things be withheld from them unto their condemnation. Behold, I was about to write them, all which were engraven upon the plates of Nephi, but the Lord forbade it, saying, I will try the faith of my people. It is amazing that Mormon was about to write down everything he thought it was important for us to know. But the Lord forbade it. In fact, the Lord said that if the modern saints were not sufficiently excited and enthusiastic about the abbreviated version of the Book of Mormon, which we have already received, then all of the rest would be completely withheld to our utter condemnation. One of the main reasons Wendell Noble and I have labored through the years to provide this commentary on the Book of Mormon was to give the saints in these hectic, busy days a much easier way to listen to the Book of Mormon in the car or at home and thereby demonstrate to the Lord that we love this book and want to prove worthy to receive more. The Lord has already expressed his indignation at our failure to treasure the Book of Mormon and the nuggets of truth it contains. This is set forth in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 84, verses 54 to 58. God loves the saints for the work they have done in the mission field, in the temples, and in our homes. But we are still treating many things lightly or completely ignoring precious truths lying dormant in the Scriptures. Therefore I, Mormon, do write the things which have been commanded me of the Lord. And now I, Mormon, make an end of my sayings, 
and proceed to write the things which have been commanded me. The Book of Mormon says the Nephites were taught continually for three solid days, but that is not all. Just as he ministered to the apostles in Jerusalem for forty days, so he ministered unto his people in America for a substantial period of time. He wanted to make certain that they understood the program of the gospel under the new covenant. It must have been a genuine culture shock for the people to be told that many of the complicated, minuscule requirements of the law of Moses were now obsolete. Furthermore, they not only had to be told about wards and stakes, but they had to be carefully instructed in the requirements for a Zion society. The fact that these people began to set up a new Zion society within months after the visit of the Savior would suggest that he gave them a very concentrated, intensive, carefully structured course on how a new Zion should be built. Therefore, I would that ye should behold that the Lord truly did teach the people for the space of three days, and after that he did show himself unto them oft, and did break bread oft, and bless it, and give it unto them. Some sense of the intensity of the Savior's ministry among the Nephites may be gathered from these next three verses. He is not only teaching them, but healing them, even raising one man from the dead. He is also using the Holy Spirit to speak through their children, and the words were so sublime they could not be recorded. And it came to pass that he did teach and minister unto the children of the multitude, of whom hath been spoken, and he did loose their tongues, and they did speak unto their fathers great and marvelous things, even greater than he had revealed unto the people, and he loosed their tongues that they could utter. And it came to pass that after he had ascended into heaven, the second time that he showed himself unto them, and had gone unto the Father, after having healed all their sick and their lame, and opened the eyes of their blind, and unstopped the ears of the deaf, and even had done all manner of cures among them, and raised a man from the dead, and had shown forth his power unto them, and had ascended unto the Father. Behold, it came to pass on the morrow that the multitude gathered themselves together, and they both saw and heard these children, yea, even babes did open their mouths and utter marvelous things. And the things which they did utter were forbidden that there should not any man write them. In between the various visits of the Savior to the Nephites, the twelve disciples were moving out among the people to teach them, call them to repentance and baptize them. When they were confirmed by the Holy Ghost, they saw and heard unspeakable things which were not lawful to have recorded. And it came to pass that the disciples whom Jesus had chosen began from that time forth to baptize and to teach as many as did come unto them. And as many as were baptized in the name of Jesus were filled with the Holy Ghost. And many of them saw and heard unspeakable things which are not lawful to be written. Now we come to a highly significant passage. It says they organized themselves into the Church of Christ 
and began having a complete sense of community concern for one another. And they taught and did minister one to another, and they had all things common among them, every man dealing justly one with another. And it came to pass that they did do all things, even as Jesus had commanded them. And they who were baptized in the name of Jesus were called the Church of Christ. If you are enjoying this podcast with W. Cleon Skousen, you might enjoy his lecture recordings while at Brigham Young University, found at skousenlibrary.com.